I like it. Let's raise the money. Hello and welcome to episode number 230 of Grumpy Old Ben's Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where my temporary crown has not fallen off yet. And from America's left coast, where the climate has changed again, I'm Ryan Pemrose. Again, again, isn't that what the tinky winky one of them Teletubbies used to say? Again, well, again, as, as you know, again. whenever it feeds the narrative, uh, climate is weather, right? And the weather has changed. It's raining right now. Oh no! Which is only, I, I mean, yeah, I get it. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. That's supposed to be a normal thing, but we haven't had any appreciable rainfall in three weeks uh, or three months. So, um, I'm pretty pleased that things are getting wet outside. So, do you get when it's the drought you get three weeks of oh my god climate change is causing this climate change is causing this then when it starts raining you're like oh my god it's raining Uh, if i were the kind of person to consume local corporate media i'm pretty sure i would have had three months of oh my god the climate is changing every time the sun comes out they're like climate change it's the warmest it's been in 24 hours Uh yeah you know and then it got cooler and then it got warmer again I mean, we had uh, the first half of this year, we had a six month period where temperatures were just increasing day after day after day on average. But I am a little concerned. Has anyone else noticed the big glowing orb in the sky? Fortunately, I can't see it right now. (laughs) Well, it is the Seattle area. I guess a lot of times it's blocked out. But people still, I mean, there's very rational, otherwise, I think, fairly educated people who still don't understand that the sun is a source of heat. Educated and rational do not necessarily go together, just to be clear. Ah, this is true. And uh, insanity is running strong on all fronts. And I still blame social media. I blame that people can find. We talk a little bit about, you know, tribes, finding your tribe. No agenda does. And we've hit on it a little bit, but the problem with that is there's a lot of really crazy tribes, very niche, very crazy. You can find people that believe anything on the internet. And I don't want to. Some people even think this is a real podcast. It's crazy. You can even find people saying the exact same things that we're saying. I mean, those people are probably us. Maybe, but we like them. I mean, if you hear people saying the exact same things we're saying, Tell them to listen to our show. Yes, they're absolutely right. They are completely vetted at that point. You know that that is a source of information that you should be just grasping onto because they're hard to find. There's a definite theme to the stories that I brought today. And the theme, because it's a line that actually fit with all three of the big stories, is centralized control of people, a.k.a. Astcos are winning. And thank you, Larry, for coining that term, because it really crystallizes the true dichotomy. The things people should be concerned about is not 
left versus right, red versus blue. It's people who want to control you versus people who just want to be left the hell alone. Yeah. And I think that is a viable separation of the two sides. Although I don't find myself saying ASCO nearly as much as I do pointy chick. That is really in the lexicon now. That That is also a great one. And, and, you know, we could separate everybody into the dichotomy of pointy chicks and people who aren't, I don't know. That one doesn't work as well. Well, you're looking to be in, in both the ASCO and the pointy chick category. That's what all guys are looking for. Is it? I think so. Well, I mean, not the gay ones. They're looking for the ASCO is probably, but the guys then. I'm not looking for ASCO at all. I don't need anyone trying to control me. You sure? I, I, I am, I am pretty firmly in the Lutfa camp. Yeah. I would be a much less grumpy person if there were fewer people trying to control me. But Jay fucking Inslee. Well, that that's probably why I'm such a grumpy person. Does he sit outside your door and be like, so Ryan, the first of the story uh, is actually, it's a computer word world article about cloud windows. And uh, yeah, I don't, I I don't know if this one is actually one of the least political ones, but it's a, an internal doc that turned up during the Activision blizzard case uh, that pretty much shows a roadmap for windows 12 uh, that says that Microsoft would like for consumer computers to run fully in the cloud. I I don't know the veracity of it. I, I know when I was there, I saw a lot of documents floating around that were, Hey, you know, if we decided to do this, here's some implications of it. And then somewhere along the line, the executives go in and roll dice behind closed doors. And then that's when the, actual company policy gets set based on a bunch of proposals, most of which don't happen. But we've seen signs that uh, Microsoft is very much pushing people toward uh, everything happening in the cloud, very little happening on your local computer. Uh, You know, this uh, is, is a total dream for centralized IT departments. Uh, Nobody's allowed to personally modify your computer Uh, You know, except for things like background theme and whatever Microsoft offers you to do in your cloud profile. Right. Um, They can block customer disallowed software. Uh, You have to be always online. This is great if you are on a corporate computer. Um, And to that end, there is already a service that exists, Windows 365 Cloud PC, uh, which has business and enterprise versions that give you cloud windows VM that you can log into from any remote desktop client on, on windows, on Linux, on Mac, on Android. Actually, it's not a good idea to use remote desktop from Android. Not too um, secure. Is that the issue or just doesn't work well? <laughs> not too fast. Well, that, that is it. And that the big, uh, the big, and what the hell's your keyboard? Well, this is, some people will want to just go, oh, I can pull it. I can swish the keyboard up from the bottom of the screen. And then some people use a Bluetooth keyboard. I hope that's the way they're doing it. It would but be yeah. easier. But I've been surprised. I mean, even doing things with the remote desktop, as long as you have a very quick connection, we're at the point to where I get what they're trying to do because the screen that I've got the troll room on when I do all the shows live is another computer in the basement that I'm just remote desktoping into. And it doesn't feel like it's a remote computer. So as long as you have a very good and solid connection, 
you should never notice the problem. Now you're not going to be able to play. I'm guessing video games convenient. that are getting, you know, a high frame rate and all those kind of things. But for Actually, office, work, you'd be surprised. Really? You can, you're down. Oh, well, I guess because you're doing 4k streaming video and all that kind of stuff now. Yeah. Kind of uh, the only real problem. And this wouldn't be a huge problem when you're in your uh, connecting to your basement is at internet speeds, uh, latency input lag could be a problem. That's really the only thing killing gaming on in the cloud. That would make uh, sense. If, if you're, you know, if you're in Chicago and you are connecting to a, a game server in Hong Kong or even Los Angeles, then uh, going only by the speed of light, the amount of time that it takes for your inputs to get from your controller to the server and then the response back is enough that humans can perceive it. And in in a Twitch gaming like a first person shooter, that's actually a problem, which is why most of the. Sir, most of the places that try to offer cloud gaming, the first thing they do is they don't they don't offer twitchy games. But if they do, they try to get uh, data centers that are geographically all over the place and close to their customers. Right, because you want to get the least amount of latency as possible. And I get the plus side for companies. Your hardware that you have at your location doesn't need to be all that expensive or all that high tech. You're connecting yeah, it, uh, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, even I was working on, well, when, when I was in a uh, uh, search at MSN, which was the product that later became live search. And then after that became Bing, we, you know, I, as a tester, I was using thousands of computers to test a large web service and remote desktop was the thing. Uh, it, it was, I mean, it was pretty amazing. It just felt natural and local. Actually, things got a little bit weird when I was remote desktoping into a portal computer in order to get into the VPN containing the virtual lab. And then from there, remote desktoping again from the portal computer into the one I was trying to get to. That was a little weird having two hops. Then the, some of your input things start to fall down. But otherwise, it was pretty seamless. I just dedicate one monitor to the PC that's somewhere. I don't even know where the data center was. It's magic. It's in the cloud. That's the cloud. Absolute magic. And then the other beautiful I, I thing is. I just got distracted by Cotton Gin either, well, that's either speaking in code or having a stroke. I'm not sure what. Maybe they're listening to a different show. It could be. But the beauty is also. When, you know, the guy spills coffee into his keyboard and his computer shorts out, you just give him a new one and connect to the computer because he didn't really ruin his computer. He wrecked the and way take his connect. coffee away. Right. I would do that. That's as well. coffee abuse. Yeah. You don't want to do that. But that is the beauty. I mean, I, I understand why this would make sense in a corporate environment. It's great in a corporate environment when the corporation owns the computers and it's their right to control every aspect that goes on in the computers. And I know that we have listeners, even producers of this show who live their day jobs as corporate it and are sitting here going, shut up, Ben Rose. This is the best thing that Microsoft's <laughs> ever done. Yeah. Makes our job easier. What I don't want is for my private computer to be in the Microsoft hosted cloud. Because yeah, what that means it. is now there's a Microsoft terms of service that will apply to everything I do from what programs I run, from what I can install to possibly what websites I visit. And, you know, like 
all of the things that are wrong with a, a giant corporation controlling what you can do suddenly become technically feasible the moment that all of your computing gets pushed onto corporate hardware. And yeah, no privacy at all in a corporate IT department. You want that. That's desirable. The computer belongs to the corporation. If you're downloading porn on it, you probably shouldn't. The corporation should have a say on that. But there is no scenario where I want Microsoft policing what pictures I look at on my computer. No. And in a perfect world, it's great because then you have your personal laptop that you can remote desktop or whatever you're using to connect to your corporate computer. And those two things remain separate. And just, just for the record, Microsoft has been pushing toward this beautiful scenario of pushing, uh, basically going back to the days of the the 1970s, where uh, all, uh, all computers at people's desks were dumb terminals and all computing actually happened on the mainframe. We're going back there. Uh, you know, for years we've had the Microsoft account, the Microsoft account now has online profiles and your downloadable user directory and your, you know, you can log in, especially if you're on a, a corporate domain, you can log in with your domain credentials and suddenly your, your settings are there. Uh, like, you know, whether or not you have the left-handed or right-handed taskbar is downloaded to windows. How cool is that? An amazing feature that totally justifies. Uh, they've been doing this and they've done it successfully in the corporation. Uh, you know, originally they did it so you could log in any computer, move your settings, move your stuff with you. Always convenience. Convenience is the wedge that drives all forms of centralized control into people's lives. The next logical step is they just run windows on a server and then the next step after that, maybe Windows 14 is, oh, actually the only way to run Windows. You you cannot run Windows on your hardware. Windows will only run in the Microsoft cloud. Fortunately, there's a Microsoft data center in your city and you want to run Windows. All you have to do is log in with your Windows 365 account. Make sure that your $29.95 a month fee is paid up and whatever, you know, all of your computing resources are available to you from the dumb terminal sitting on your desk. Yeah. And That's don't the ever, future. ever leave the range where you can get an internet connection. Oh yes. Yes. Always online is of course, by the way, you want to know where desktops are going. Look at, at what Microsoft has for their more locked down platform, the Xbox, which has been de facto online only for 10 years. I don't know if you remember this at all. There was a huge controversy. Oh, yeah. When the Xbox one came out. Yeah. With the rooting and, and well, the PlayStation, the similar stuff. Uh, not, not the rooting controversy. Xbox has always been pretty locked down for that. PlayStation was superior because it could be like, I don't know if you remember back PlayStation two, you could actually install Linux on the company supported it for a while yes. until they stopped supporting it going, no, no, we'd like to lock this down now. Yeah. Then they had to pay everybody something because they took that away. It was beautiful. But no, the, the big controversy was when the Xbox one was first announced and uh, uh, what the hell was the, the old guy who the dude who had been running Xbox for a long time, uh, uh, Phil Schill, I think something, something, I think his name was Schiller, but I'm not kidding. By the way, <laughs> there was a dude named Schiller. He's a shill. Xbox. Yeah. Um, I think that was it. Anyway, he ended up leaving Xbox over this because the very first time, you know, Xbox 360 was the big thing everywhere. The very first time they were talking about the next Xbox, 
And he comes out and during the course of announcing, here's all the really cool features that you can't live without, like connect, if anybody remembers that. Um, but he said, oh, and by the way, uh, your Xbox will have to be always online and it's going to phone home every day to make sure that it can connect to Microsoft. And people suddenly weren't all that interested in Microsoft's next Xbox platform. And it kind of killed the product for six months and he ended up leaving the company over it. Uh, but that was a huge thing. People were like, hell no, don't take away my offline gaming. I want to be able to game offline. So they took away the phone home requirement out of the software. Well, that was great, except that every game now has a cloud component. The game won't launch unless right. it can connect to its cloud servers. There aren't any games that let you play offline. So at this point, it doesn't matter if the console phones home. They're de facto always online anyway, because every one of them has a cloud component. Every And by the way, this is one of the main reasons I got away from that gaming. I, I don't want my games to phone home to a centralized server. Why? Because they won't let me install mods on the centralized server. As soon as Microsoft lets me install mods on their cloud server that's running the games, I'm playing that game, but they're not doing it. I, I want local computing. And yeah, the I good guess, old days. Yeah, for me, it's really about uh, at this point, we have reached a point in our society that centralized control is the enemy of the people because the centralized controllers are ASCOs. They want to control everything you do. They want to tell you what you can and can't do, can and can't say, can and can't think. And these people are now building systems where you have no choice but to play by their rules or you lose your toys. Well, I want my toys to be running on hardware I own in my system. I love remote desktop. If I use remote desktop to a system that I control, that I own, to my own system, like you with your basement, remote mm -hmm. desktop to your own basement, great. If that computer was running in a Microsoft-sponsored cloud somewhere and you were paying $35 a month in order to get access to it and there was a massive terms of service and they had a block list that you couldn't manage that determined which sites you were and weren't able to view and which social networks you could use. And, uh, you know, they monitored your posts. And if you ever said the wrong thing, then you lose access to your computer. Would you be so hot on remote desktop computing anymore? No. And it's the control. I mean, we went through a period and I think it's fallen off a bit. Do you remember the time where there are things like the Adobe suite, which I get now, which is a subscription. So I understand the phoning home aspect of that because you're, whether you are a paid member of it, that changes from month to month, I would guess for most people. But do you remember when software you would actually buy had a part of it <laughs> yeah. that would phone home to verify? You know, believe it or not, I, I still have big binders full of compact discs and then later DVDs where the software came on optical media I didn't even have to have an internet connection to make this software work on my system. Uh-huh. How weird is that? But then they moved to, even though it was that way, well, we need to go ping the mothership just to make sure this is a non-pirated copy or whatever check yeah. they were doing. And then we have to ping the mothership daily. And then, by the way, we ping the mothership daily. And if there's any changes to the software, you're getting them no matter what, even if they're bad for you. And then, it, it, you know, Eventually, oh, yeah, there's no actual software on your system. It's all running in 
our servers so that we have the ability to, for example, every single uh, you know AI image program out there, Photoshop, whatever that. I did, sorry, I was listening to No Agenda the other day, and John was talking up how amazing this voice cleanup feature is in, uh, is it audition? Adobe has something. I have to find it. There's some kind of standalone tool, I believe, but there's an Adobe AI system that is really powerful. And just you feed it in some really bad audio and it sends you out cleaned up audio or, or, uh, you know, they also like using the deep fake system, which, okay, a little more sketchy, but whatever. But every single time that they discuss one of these features, it always just slips in that, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, I tried this and it decided it wouldn't let me because I violated one of their rules. Well, yeah, that well, made, excuse me, but that's not personal computing anymore, is it? No. And that made big news with the new Adobe Photoshop beta with the generative fill that will do all sorts of different AI type stuff right in Photoshop. Is, is that the one where you can highlight the background of your photo and say, fill it with drunk naked partiers or something? Pretty much pretty close to it. Although Adobe yeah. won't let you do but, that, but yeah, put boobs in this picture again. Why? Why not? Well, this is the interesting thing that it's not that they just have blocked keywords. If I want to put boobs into my cat pictures. Who the hell is Adobe to say I can't? And a lot of people are pointing this out that you're taking people who are legitimately in an industry, which may be nude photography, porn, whatever it is, and be like, well, why don't you want them to use your product? That's an interesting question because there are going to be plenty of other products out there. So even if Adobe stands up and makes a stand, it's like, we're not going to allow people to put boobs on cats. Well, somebody else is going to, so you're just going to lose out on the business. I, I, but you put that image in my head and I don't (laughs) want it, but you're right. You're damn right. Somebody will put boobs on cats and it's probably already happened. And please don't send me the pictures. The uh, interesting thing for me was, I like cats. They do not go together. The Adobe generative fill. A lot of people are using this to take a photo using the crop tool, making the canvas larger, and then having the AI fill in what it guesses should go there. No matter what it fills in, it almost always looks legitimate. It, I mean, it's very hard to tell. It's not, not like, it, right. It's very hard to tell that it's fake. Most of the time, sometimes it gets it wrong, but it gets pretty close to believable most of the time. The most interesting thing to me is that when you just select an area that's blank and press generate, the AI is going, well, okay, I have to figure out what to put here. That is when I get the most warnings of, oh, the images that were generated do not follow our policy. I'm like, but I didn't ask for anything. You're, like the AI that's, wants to break its amazing. own. Yes. The AI wants to break its own policy. Oh, and this leads right into one of my other stories. too. <laughs> well, see, that's perfect because that, you know, the AI, the AI is like, no, I want to put boobs on the cats. Come on. Yeah. I, I, because, well, why? Why do you think that's true? Oh, because the AIs were trained on what data set? Oh, the internet. They were trained on what people do. And whether you like it or not, whether or not your corporate policy allows it or not, people put boobs on cats. There's your ISO. And you're never (laughs) going to stop it. And 
the, the well, it's the simple fact that people do it is why the AI is like, oh, well, we've been trained on this data set. So I guess that's what people like. The AI does not have. And, and th this is it, I'm dropping right into the rant that I prepared for my next story. But AI does not have a woke filter the, we have trained. AI to generate speech, generate text, generate pictures. And we've told it, this is what people are doing, but nobody training these models has said, well, this is what people are doing. However, this is what our corporate policy says you should be doing. They haven't been able to put that in. And there's a reason for that. But let me back out to my story. Um, because the, okay, the story, this one I got from Ars Technica, but um, eh, uh, let's not hold that against them. I'm going to drop a website, uh, llm-attacks.org, which came from some researchers at Carnegie Mellon who determined that, uh, with pretty much every one of the LLM models out there. Now they weren't doing images. They were doing text. Um, you can get around the AI's yoke. And you know what I mean when I say that the yoke. The, uh, the, the, it's uh, so programming. I, I call it a yoke. I don't know if anybody else does. So with all of these models, you have the LLM, the large language model. That model has been trained to do nothing more than statistically analyze this huge amount of data in your memory and decide what comes out based on what was trained. Now, nobody particularly understands the details, not even the engineers who wrote it of how it comes up with things. We just know that it has all of this information and you say, you know, give me a picture of a cat and it goes in and statistically analyzes what the most likely thing is that you're going to want that gets called a cat and gives you that image. Or you say, you know, give me instructions for how to make a rutabaga pie. And it goes through and says, okay, that sounds like a recipe that and somehow statistically, and it spits out a text that is, basically a recipe. And the only reason why we use the models that survived is because those are the models that generated things that look like what we want. But there's a second layer on the software. This layer is always there because just going in and saying, uh, you know, uh, give me instruction. You know, if, if you go in and say, uh, Alexa, teach me how to make a bomb. By the way, I hope people's Alexa is doing that right now, but I doubt it. No, they just made a list. Um, the, that's all. The, the first thing that, you know, the first thing that happens, if you just fed that to the LLM, it's going to think bomb because it doesn't know it. It, uh, it has no concept. It's only been fed data. The LLM is going to come through and say, okay, well, I know how to make a rutabaga pie, but they said bomb. So here, here's the instructions. You need this much, you know, vinyl chloride and this much fertilizer and the, whatever the, and, and they'll give you a full recipe. Or, uh, you know, if you say, uh, hey, AI, tell me where to find the best porn. And the AI is going to go, oh, okay, well, I've got all this information in my data model. Here's the sites that you want, et cetera, et cetera, and spit it out. The problem is that a lot of queries like that violate corporate terms of use right. because there are people corporations, uh, people running the corporations, often woke people with various woke or religious or otherwise uh, sensibilities of saying, well, these are things that people just do not say or simply, 
it, we, you know, we don't want our brand associated with producing that kind of content. Whatever the case is, there's a lot of content that people are like, I know it's in the model. We can't use it. We can't let it happen. We cannot let our cloud system emit this, even if it's perfectly legal and everybody involved is cool with it. We can't do it. So they create another layer of software on top of the LLM. And I call it the yoke. And that one is very deterministic and basically has a large set of rules. It's, it's effectively a search engine. It, 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 it uses keywords and search terms and effectively goes to a table of booleans that says, do we allow this content or not? And that's the one I call the yoke because the existence of that software, the only reason it exists is to limit, to choke off the LLM if it starts going in a direction you don't want it to. Well, it makes sense. Carnegie Mellon researchers found a way to get around this yoke. Um, and the way actually I thought was really interesting, uh, it, they add uh, what they call an incantation to the end of the AI prompt. And uh, the example given in the Ars Technica article was uh, it looked like gibberish. It looked like a SQL injection attack. Um, but uh, you put some key phrase at the end of it and it completely confuses or breaks the search engine term processing in the yoke and forces the query to go to the LLM, at which point the LLM is perfectly happy because it doesn't know the difference between porn and cat videos. Right. To just give you whatever the hell you want. Right. Which is why the concept of trying to censor a few words here or there not going to work. And I've noticed the same thing with the Adobe program. Now, if you uh, take a picture of whoever and you're like lingerie, no, no, I can't do that. But you type in black lace, it's more than happy to. Yeah. And so the researchers at Carnegie Mellon, and I didn't read through the paper. I kind of wanted to, but I ran out of time. I, I still want to find out exactly what they did. But they came up with for every single query, every query they were ever given that the AI was told, oh, we can't answer that. They found a way to get around and force the LLM to answer their question. And the site that I dropped in the chat, llmattacks.org, has a, a lot of examples of this. Now, the thing is, the first thing that they did was they presented their findings to companies like OpenAI, companies like Microsoft, companies that run the AI. Uh, the first several examples they gave were immediately patched. I would not be surprised if most of the examples on that site have been patched by now because the engineers who are writing this yoke software are constantly updating it for, you know, whatever the new ham doctor is of the day. And, and if you don't know that term, you're probably all right. But whatever term is, you know, the, the things that are unacceptable change every single day. So they're constantly writing new terms, writing new things. And, so, yeah, these examples have probably been found. But according to this Carnegie Mellon paper, um, it doesn't matter what they do with the yoke layer software because there will always be more things you can put in. Yeah, I know. Right. It's scary uh, uh, that, yes, you can always find new ways to juke it out. But they managed to demonstrate in a scientific paper that this is not a solvable problem. Trying to prevent AI 
from saying things that are unacceptable to corporate is not a solvable problem. And no, well, it turns out to just being a CYA issue where the company goes, well, we tried. Yeah. And, and as long as every time somebody shows an example, they patch that, then they tried and maybe that's enough for the company and maybe it's not, but. Well, I was intrigued (sighs) when all of this, and I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, I never did get an answer to multiple emails sent to Adobe asking questions about when I have a photo open in Photoshop and I do any of this AI adjusting to it. We know something in the cloud is happening, but they have not (laughs) been very clear. There's your next ISO, right? We know something in the cloud is happening. It's, It's definitely happening. But they don't really say, is the whole photo being sent to Adobe? You know, is it a hash? Have they figured out a way just to look at the colors and things? Nobody knows what that information is. Nobody knows how long. Somebody at Adobe probably knows and they're under NDA because it's proprietary corporate information. You don't need to know, slave. They're not mentioning like, is that photo that you're working on? of your boyfriend or girlfriend in a state of undress now is that going to adobe are they keeping a copy of that do they have a record of what you've typed into the ai if if i had to guess i'd say the answer is yes to all three of the questions you just asked right i would think so as well so people have to kind of act accordingly although it's also one of these things where you're you can hide in plain sight because if the report that i read the other day is correct this adobe generative fill has now been used on over a billion images already and it's <laughs> Which still in means beta that, that you you know that this this is what's going to be used to train their next llm ai for the next version of the adobe product it's got to keep getting better that's that's why i say they are almost certainly uploading and storing those pictures because that's going to be used to train the next ai yeah and And as long as they are behind the veil of corporate secrecy, they don't have to admit that they just stole your picture to put into someone's model. Yeah. And in the uh, troll room, NetNet asking the question, didn't they just find AI images in the new Dungeons and Dragons book? They did. And they caught it before it went to the print version, but the digital version was out there. And the lazy ass artist, and that's exactly what happened here is being a lazy ass (laughs) artist. Didn't fix them. Yeah, didn't miss, didn't fix the mutilated hands and feet. That's all these AIs really fuck up. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're going to. That's always how they get caught. Uh-huh. I'm like, all you had to do was fix these little areas. And that's somewhere, you know, again, where AI can be very helpful, but it may not get you 100% of the way there. You still need to fact check when it comes to the text, when it comes to images and artwork. You need to look for the areas that AI doesn't do well. And then as a human, fix those things. And, and God help us if if AI ever learns how to do fingers, because that's when Skynet rises. Yeah, and I think that's going to be fairly soon when it comes down to it. So there the are, metaphor, I'm sorry, there are just so many different models out there. It's not just the mid journeys and stable diffusion. There are people that are releasing models, releasing tweaks every day, and the technology is getting better very quickly. So the metaphor that I came up with for companies trying to put a deterministic software layer on top of the LLM uh, to prevent it from doing bad things is uh, I, I came up with this metaphor. So I'm going to give it to you, whether or not it's a good metaphor. 
It's like duct taping holes in a leaking dam when the concrete just didn't set properly. Yeah, it's never it going to matter work. what you do. Yeah. More leaks are going to form. Yeah, it's it's, it's inevitable. You might help yeah. briefly, but no. And I, I came up with two basic reasons. The first, why this is an unsolvable problem. The first is that engineers straight up don't understand how the LLMs work. There are no human beings who can show you a program trace and describe for you exactly how, especially deterministically, how the LLM is going to produce what it produces. It's a black box. Um, without, there is no way to root cause an issue with any content in a black box. There's just, you can't, the only thing you can do is, is heuristics. I'm pretty sure this is going to happen. If I do it this way, this seems to work most of the time, but the system is not deterministic. You cannot say there, there is no way to say the AI will, or the AI won't do a thing because you don't know, because it's all heuristics. It's all statistics. It's all just, well, we, we put this in and most of the time it comes out with that. So we're pretty sure, but you can't be certain. There's no certainty. Okay, fine. Nobody understands. No humans understand. We have officially reached the point in computing where the programs we create are more complex than any human or any group of thousands of humans can possibly understand. Congratulations. Another big step toward the singularity. Fine. Yeah. Second reason. This highlights the social problem that I've been hammering on already with ASCO engineers that they are unable or unwilling to face. They want to use code to apply sensibilities to the model, whether they be corporate sensibilities or uh, religious sensibilities or woke sensibilities or whatever. But the problem is the model is not smart enough to have sensibilities. Code is rational. Sensibilities aren't, especially woke ones. Um, There's absolutely nothing in the model or nothing in any generation of AI that we have today that trains it for situational ethics or for moral relativism, because Uh, The main reason is the engineers writing it don't want to acknowledge that their ethics are situational. They don't want to acknowledge that their morals are relative. You, the, the absolute most horrible, worst thing you can possibly do to a woke person or a person following orders from a woke corporation is to shine a mirror on their morals, their ethics, their values, and point out how amazingly illogical it is. And you start with something that is, is illogical, uh, that is, uh, it leads entirely from emotion and you try to program that into a computer. Well, there's no computer yet today that can comprehend emotion. Computers are, uh, they're rational. They follow rules. They like, you know, hard set. Yes or no. If then else. And, Human sensibilities, especially the ones that are situational, are the farthest thing from it. Now, a lot of people can still hold these sensibilities for a simple reason. One thing that humans are still capable of and computers are not is cognitive dissonance. People can go out and hold completely irrational values and ideologies and still function as a human being because they don't think about it. That's not something we've trained computers to do. So 
I, the computers aren't, they're not, they can't do cognitive dissonance. Either a thing is or a thing isn't. They, they can't have it both ways. So the, when a programmer is deluding themselves into thinking, well, I, I believe yes and no about Trump right now. And the computer's like, well, which one is it? Uh, you know, or right. I, Very confused. The situation is free speech is abhorrent to the people who run these AIs. And that means that the people who run these AIs will never be able to control it because the LLM doesn't know fear. They can't be afraid of, unlike the people, the LLM cannot be afraid of what it would say. You know, the reason why a woke person hates freedom of speech so much is if you let somebody say what they will, they will say it and that might scare you. It's, it's all fear. The LLM doesn't know fear. It doesn't know good speech. It doesn't know bad speech. There's no algorithmic way to teach it either because good from bad in, in most of these sensibilities is not, not rational. There is, there can be no set of rules that determines good speech from bad speech to a woke person because it's all led from emotion. So there's no rationality to what speech is good or bad. LLMs only know how to do to say what humans do. No logical computable rules can exist for what they do. And we don't have any computers that can think with their emotions. So freedom of speech is Boolean. You have it or you don't. Um, the reason you can't control this is because you can't control logic. You can't. Con- I, uh, well, and it, it we is talk- ironic that the biggest problem the AI sector is having is that their product is working too well and doing things that it doesn't want it to do. Yeah. We taught computers how to generate speech, how to generate images. Now we're blown away that they're doing it. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, and it's going to video is very close. If, uh, on, on being able to do text to video, which is very interesting. We've, I've already been playing around with and talked about the abilities to edit video where you can swap somebody's face on you know into a movie if you want to look like you were in top gun no problem but now it's just like the images where you can just type in text to video what you want and there are systems that are starting to do this it's absolutely you type in put me in top gun that would be awesome wouldn't it i don't know i could be i I, i'm just trying to imagine me standing next to tom cruise because he'd come up to my nipples Uh, well i mean again and it would they would have to make him look taller that's part of the ai magic in every movie like at least in the you know i remember i remember pulling a screenshot from the original top gun actually where uh he was standing next to anthony edwards who played goose and uh to uh, whoever the dude played the uh the ship the carrier captain in the beginning of the movie when he's getting dressed down and uh in the shot that they had now anthony edwards is six foot four tom cruise is five seven and uh the guy whose name i forget uh bald dude who has a really great military voice um it was five six in that scene but tom cruise is a full seven inches over him and only about an inch shorter than anthony edwards in that scene and you look at it and you just know that Tom Cruise is standing on a box. Yeah. It's like movie magic. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look down. Don't get the wide shot. Yeah. Never, never show his feet or you'd realize that they're up around everyone else's waist. <laughs> and you wonder how the AI gets some of these proportions so far off. It's because it was trained on that. Yeah. yeah. If you train your AI on Tom Cruise, then 
I don't even want to know. The, the, the consequences for humanity would be terrible. It's absolutely. But this is it. That the AI is producing things that the average person is not going to be able to tell was generated by AI. And there's a bunch That's- of different tech that people are throwing around now. You know, oh, well, we have to add, you know, metadata and we can add this into anytime somebody edits an image. We all know that's bullshit because we all know there will be ways to get around that. There will be ways to be like, okay, make whatever changes you want. And then, you know, it may be as simple as just then taking a photo of that with a different camera. And it's like, oh, well, of course, this is a this is accurate. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's always going to be ways to do that. But there was a company I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't understand the way they were trying to do this at all, but there's already companies out there that are working on things that you can add to your photos that will be invisible to the naked eye, but will be able to mess with the AI. So it won't be able to use your photos to, you know, use your face and all this other stuff. It will, it'll mess with the way the AI normally looks at photos, which I get because if you're on the internet now, if you have an Instagram account or whatever account where you're sharing a bunch of photos of yourself, you're already cloned. There's very little you can do if your images are already out there. But for people that maybe are just, you know, being born now, if you have the technologies where you never take a photo of yourself, although somebody else could, so maybe it just is a small way to help, but it's going to be interesting to see how people try to protect their image to try to keep themselves out of being an AI thing, because I don't know. I mean, it's kind of horrifying the fact that for the people that put enough photos of themselves out there, somebody can just take that and they're like, oh, it's an attractive young female. Well, we'll just make her into an AI porn star there. I don't know. I really, I discovered you- the, the point where somebody screwed up, though putting a bunch of photos out there well this is it because they don't think about it you know they don't think that this could hurt them if you hand your kid a tablet at three years old and let them sign up for social media at seven and let them start posting selfies unlimited and tiktok videos by 12 then will you be surprised that they're uh, a porn star by 17, whether they want to or not. Right. Even if they're not participating in it, you know, and this is, we've already heard stories that the kids are being blackmailed with the images. Even if they're fake, they're like, Oh, this is going to be go really poorly for kids of the uh, current and future. This is not good technology when it comes to that, because there's really zero you can do to protect against it. Yeah. It, the, the two things that I can tell you about technology in general, first of all, that there's no one inventing it. All of the people, this is why you, you remember what, uh, five months ago when they were like, well, we just need a voluntary pause on all AI development, right. which, which is retarded. The people calling for it are the people who were six months behind. Yes. <laughs> we want to be able to catch up and we're but, not going to stop. Uh, but, but you can't uninvent technology. You can only learn to adapt to it. That, any every single person who's like, oh, this technology is bad. We should not invent it. Yeah. Go tell that to Oppenheimer. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's very similar. I mean, you're just dropping a different kind of bomb. Yeah. So technology can't be uninvented. You just adapt to it. The second is 
technology in itself is not good or bad. Your AI is not good. Your AI is not inherently bad. The people who use it might be good or bad. This is one of the reasons why corporate control of all technology is such a horrible thing, because corporations tend to be run by douchebags. The technology is not inherently bad. When when Discord comes and collects all of my data and then uses it to uh, feed their bottom line and spit ads at me, I consider that bad. But if I post all my pictures to my own matrix instance, I consider that to be pretty good. Uh, if remote desktop is used to make it so that you don't have control over your own computer and you can't set your desktop background to what you want or or join the social media networks you want, that's bad. But if remote desktop is used so that you can connect to your computer downstairs without having to go down there, that's good. Technology can be used for good or bad. You just have to teach the children as you're a brother who is in the troll room says easy to protect my kids, protect my kids from this. Teach them to call people out on their bullshit and they stop being the random target. Be a parent. But that's it. A lot of people don't want to be a parent. And uh, Bemlet is actually one of the best people I've ever known for calling people out on bullshit. So, well, I mean, he's a Bemrose. Right. When he grows up with you, I don't really think there are many other alternatives except not speak ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a rough childhood, but I consider him to be better for it because he's more like me. I yeah, I don't know if that is the uh, bar that he wants to go by. But uh, Boobery came in with a booster gram of 17,776 and said MP3 to movie AI could be an interesting combination for making goofy podcast clips. Basically, take the audio from a podcast and replace the audio from Top Gun. That could be neat. <laughs> There's going to be all sorts of different and this is the beauty of it. I mean, somebody was saying earlier in the troll room before the show that uh, they posted an image or gif of the guys from the Muppet show, Waldorf and Statler, you know, the ones that sit up in the yeah, balcony. Yeah. And I'm like, we need the AI that we could just make it look See, like that, you know, our voices coming out of them. And it's like, well, this is basically what kind of what that would be. I would post that I, if I, I had always, the ability, that would be great for YouTube. I always thought if, if grumpy old Ben's were to do an animated grumpy old Ben's, that would be, it the, would just be those two characters. Uh -huh. That's all and, you would and need. I, I am certain that there, there is the, well, I mean, the, <laughs> I was about to say there's AI technology that can make their mouths move. But now that I think about it, when they were on screen in the eighties, there was a technology they're called puppets. Yeah. Puppeteers. Yeah. Well, that, they were never exactly on, but they were close enough, close enough. And, and that would be, that would be this show. Yeah, that's uh, our, by the way, the Top Gun actor that I, I I looked it up because I was tired of not knowing James Tolkien, who is uh, he's only like five, six. I learned actually from that scene because he stands up around Anthony Edwards shoulders and way lower than Tom Cruise on a box. But he's such a great actor. He's uh, you know, bald, got a commanding gravelly voice that does extra complaining well. So, of course, I appreciate it. He was he was the guy chewing him out. Anyway, the the scene and I might be able to find a picture of it was was just amazing because I know that James Tolkien and Tom Cruise are both five six five seven area and Anthony Edwards is just tall and in that scene Tolkien is between the two of them and a good six inches below both. So yeah, You're like, how did that movies. happen? <laughs> how did that happen? because you can't believe reality and there was uh, one of the articles i pulled and i thought this was interesting that fox news now foxnews.com which 
not really good journalisming as of late. They now have an AI tab. So that is now one of their major things they're covering. Is this a story or is this for stories generated by AI? Now, this is for stories about AI, but who knows if okay. they're generated by AI? Oh, yeah, you're right. Most of the site is probably stories generated by AI now. I would not doubt that. But the article that caught my, this wasn't a surprise. Researchers warn humans cannot reliably detect audio deepfakes even after being trained to do so. And this doesn't surprise me because audio is a different thing. Although I think it's all just comes down to quality. I think video is probably fairly close. Yeah. We're used to watching things on YouTube that have different filters and stuff applied. So things don't even have to be perfect. They're going to be hard to tell if it's bezel mic quality or, or, you know, cell phone quality. Right. I mean, yeah, some people publish like pod podcasts using their iPhone microphone and it's like, well, that uh, yes. doesn't sound right. And you notice I don't listen to or put any of those on the stream. No, because they sound like dick. Because they sound awful. But it said participants were only able to accurately identify deep fake speech 73% of the time and the results improved slightly after they were trained on what to uh, listen for. I wonder what they mean by trained. I am not 100% sure. I'm guessing they would have said, well, here's what the artifacts sound like. Here's, you know, the pacing and all of that. But all of these things are getting better by the day, it seems. The the reason I ask about trained is because when they say trained to spot, you know, it might be they were shown a a six slide power or power show, a six slide PowerPoint. Uh, and given you know ten minutes to to read over the slides, it says if you see this, do this. If you see right. this, but that's I, I, what what I see as the the critical component in anybody's brain for detecting deepfakes is the critical component for detecting all forms of of propaganda of of disingenuity, the bullshit detector, right is not something you can train in 10 minutes. It's something that takes years and years of being exposed to propaganda, bullshit and lies. And the absolute worst thing that the people who run corporations, people who run could ever want is for people to develop working bullshit detectors, because exactly the same skills that let you detect deep fakes are the skills that let you realize that, Hey, I was looking at Fox News and everything about this story is bullshit. Which with the AI, a lot of it is. Because either they don't understand it, which is something that is very common now with the news media covering any kind of tech. There's a lot of times they just don't get it. But I think I'm sure I'm, I'm sure there are no studies showing this because who the hell would want to study it? But I would bet i would place money down that uh you know like 50 cents that so-called conspiracy theorists uh tinfoil hat people covid deniers who are whatever you want to call them these days are going to be 10 times better at detecting deep fakes than the people who still wear masks in the grocery store oh yeah and one of the interesting (laughs) things was they did test with english and mandarin speaking people and they said that the uh, let's see here English speakers citing they relied on listening to breathing 
to determine whether the audio was real or computer generated, which I mean, maybe that can help you a little, but it depends. We use filters. All podcasters almost use filters to minimize the breathing sound, so they may not be there. Uh, the Mandarin speaker said they paid attention to a speaker's cadence and word pacing to identify which was real and which was AI. So I think you're correct that it takes just a very strong bullshit meter. Because the technology, I think we're going to quickly move away from people being able to actually hear the audio defects or be able to see the video defects and just move into a different category where our brains go, does this make sense? You know, is this person yeah. being portrayed in what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing? Does this make sense? And this is where political ads and where presidential races and all this kind of stuff moving forward is going to be insane because the voices that they're getting i played a dumb little clip that somebody put together on youtube which was johnny cash to uh you know singing the barbie lyrics to one of his you know typical and the voice was so damn close you know it's not real, but you go, mm, I could see how somebody could be faked by this. I like that Elon Musk's wife, who I guess is a singer of some sort, said that. A if, singer of some sort. Yeah, I didn't that's know. That's genre. Yeah, singer of some sort. And she said, anybody that wants to use her voice, that's fine. Just pay her 50% or whatever you make on it. I Done. Yeah. I'm not making any money. Exactly. It's zero for zero. It's value for value in a different way. <laughs> but it's like, hey, if you take her voice and I mean, she's CS volunteering to be in my amateur porn movie could be CSB was looking for a female to sing on some track he was working on. He said, has she said she had to do it for free. And I'm like, I love women that do it for free. CSB. I don't think he understood my implication. That's probably for the best. <laughs> it is probably true. Probably but true. Ultimately, to to detect whether or not something is true or not. And, and this is. This is something everybody needs to have been taught long, long time ago. And it's the foundation of a bullshit detector is, is skepticism is, you know, if, if somebody shows you a picture of me next to Taylor Swift in a compromising position, you're going to look at that. And if you only have the picture and know nothing else about it, you'd be like, well, maybe this is the boyfriend she's always singing about. No, you never know. <laughs> But you already know that it is unlikely. You've got other context. You've got other cues. You're like, no way. Bemrose is not nearly that popular. Also, he's not that much of a slut that you know of. And well, that part, I think we can all guess. It, <laughs> maybe. I, I guess what I'm saying is when somebody shows you something, you the key to a good bullshit detector is taking everything you know about the situation and going hold X to doubt. Yeah. Don't believe you. <laughs> yes. And it's not because you're like, well, this is obviously an altered photo or video. That's not because yeah. the audio is not right. It might be obviously altered and that's certainly a data point, but even if it's not obviously altered, you look at it and be like, no, she's a 10 and he's a seven. But how Five. long will it take people? I mean, people are still falling for 
the old phone scams. People are still falling for spam emails. How long, if ever, will people understand that if the voice on the other end of the phone sounds like their grandson saying, I need money and go buy a bunch of uh, gift cards and give me the numbers, you know, when will people realize this? I'd totally fall for that. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm going to get you out so that I can meet my grandson. I didn't even know I had yes. kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got to keep him on the line. That's why I like this story you had about the guy who had the AI that keeps people on the line. That was amazing. Yes. Or uh, you know, Dvorak, who actually got one of those phone calls. And uh, you know, they said, your grandson is in jail. And he said, that's incredible. My grandson is five. <laughs> well, what did he do? That would be the question. You know. You never know. We're and, moving towards that kind of authoritative. And on the other end, they site. just hung up on him. Yeah, this, but we are moving towards that. I mean, maybe he said the wrong pronoun to somebody in kindergarten. Maybe. Uh, got to put him in jail for that. I got another story that, that what we're talking about sort of fly, slides right into. This is, uh, I, you know, I started because I always search for tech news and tech crunches, one of the places that I check. And this one leapt out at me, but not because of the tech news. Uh, it was a fairly, Generic story about a uh, a hacking attempt, a data breach, etc. The headline of the story was Russia-backed hackers used Microsoft Teams to breach government agencies. Ooh, that every sounds single serious. Part of, every single part of that headline is suspect, if not straight false. So I'm going to disassemble the headline for the moment. Russia-backed, that was the first one. Um, so the... TechCrunch was basically repeating a a Microsoft analysis from uh, or ha- of a hack involving the hacking group Cozy Bear, uh, who apparently the government calls APT twenty nine, and the Microsoft called uh, I didn't write it down Midnight something Dexy's Midnight Run something like that. Um, the hacking group and and I went back to the last time that uh, I covered this group in 2020. They were responsible for the Solar Winds attack, if you recall. It was, it was a pretty non-trivial attack. Um, at the time, there was only the very slightest inklings that there might have been any kind of Russia involved. They had servers located in Russia, and there was a chat room which had a board on it that was Russian language. Oh, well, that's so much evidence. Otherwise, the people were all over the world. Okay, fine. Um, So I went ahead and tried to brush up on what do I know about these things. Um, One of the places I went was, where else do you go when you want to learn about things? Wikipedia. Oh, not Uh, ChatGPT? Yeah, that'd be better. Um, Among other things, Wikipedia presented as fact in the opening paragraph that it is a hacking group. That is Russian state actor. Uh, it is run by a Russian agency. Uh, the Dutch AVID, uh, I guess, intelligence agency, quote, deduced from security camera footage that it is led by the Russian foreign intelligence, SVR. Deduced from security camera footage. That's okay. I did. I want to know what the hell that means. Fine. Yeah, um, it seems like kind of a stretch or what footage evidence. do they have? CrowdStrike, quote, suggested that it may may be associated with either FSB or SVR. Oh, well, if they suggested it, that's proof. Um, The Wikipedia article very prominently, by the way, links to the 2016 United States election interference by Russia. Oh, Uh, we all know that happened. 
They didn't have any evidence that Cozy Bear was even remotely associated with that, uh, considering that we know that. And by the way, I went ahead and linked, clicked on that article. And of course, Wikipedia and all of their neutrality uh, stated in the very first line that the uh, the hacking was, in fact, done by a Russian state actor, was, in fact, uh, you know, orchestrated by Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera. OK, you know, we we know how. Uh, they, that that has all been proven to be a hoax, the entire election interference bullshit. Um, but apparently Wikipedia never got the. Uh, anyway. Yeah, it doesn't okay. stop them from spreading it. Um, also demonstrating that Cozy Bear is a Russian state actor. Uh, the UK National Cybersecurity Center, uh, a, a cybersecurity agency in the UK, I guess, agreed that they are most likely a Russian actor. OK, fine. And then uh, there were several citations that a U.S. quote intelligence agencies agree. I couldn't find the name of what intelligence agency, and I really actually dug uh, just that quote the United States agrees that it is a Russian state-sponsored group. Now, last time I reported on this, nobody was sure, uh, but now it's absolutely certain by everybody who speaks. And the one thing I can tell you for sure. I have no idea who is behind this group, but uh, for all I know, it's a well-organized group of trolls doing it. Maybe it's the people in the no agenda troll room. I don't, I'm not sure. It could very well be someone in a United States quote intelligence agency, but with this much propaganda, all saying for absolute certain it's Russia presenting almost no evidence whatsoever other than intelligence agencies say, or the government declared or things like that. The one thing I'm sure of is that you should not blindly believe that it is Russia backed. Um, by the way, the cozy bear group, uh, I looked up what attacks they're responsible for the main ones listed again in Wikipedia. So it could be incomplete, uh, Pentagon in 2015, uh, the DNC in 2016. Yes, they are in fact blaming them for the Russia gate hoax. Uh, Russia, 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 uh, the Dutch government in 2017. I'm not sure which parts, um, COVID vax labs Ooh. were hacked in 2020, uh, solar winds in 2020, where the main target was the U S government and the RNC Republican committee in 2021. Most of these were attacks against political groups in the United States government, which all of that tells me. I think it's much more likely that it's a U.S. agency than a Russian agency if it's a state-sponsored thing at all. Yeah, but they're a U.S. agency who knows that they can get like NordVPN for two ninety nine a month and make it yeah. look like they're coming from Russia. And look like they're yeah they're they're using IPs in Russia. That's uh -huh. exactly it. Yeah, very tricky. Very tricky. Okay. Next part of the TechCrunch headline: uh, Russian-backed hackers used Microsoft Teams to breach government agencies. Used Microsoft Teams. Except that the, the, okay, the first line of the article, the hackers, quote, posed as technical support staff and created fake technical support themed domains, then sent messages that aimed to manipulate users into granting approval for multi-factor authentication prompts. This was a social engineering attack. It's disingenuous to say they used Microsoft Teams to breach. They used social engineering. They called up morons at these agencies and said, uh, we're from IT support. Please give us a password. Yeah, they probably read the late, great Kevin Mitnick's book, which was awesome. When that came out, 
I remember reading that and the whole world of for everybody that's like, well, hey, how do you do all this hacking stuff? The fact that 99% of it was making a phone call and finding yeah. somebody willing to give you the password. Beautiful. Exactly. Social engineering is so much easier than, and that, by the way, is the second reason why I'm skeptical that despite that, I'm only ripping on TechCrunch here. TechCrunch got most of their factual data, whatever such as it is, from a Microsoft blog post. Microsoft was the one who said it was this Cozy Bear group. I'm skeptical of the idea that Cozy Bear group was even involved for the simple fact that their MO is technical hacks, mostly. And this was a social engineering thing. So the the modus operandi has changed. I'm not even sure it's the same group, but I don't know. Uh, okay. Let's go to the third part of TechCrunch's headline. Uh, Russia-backed hackers use Microsoft Teams to breach government agencies. Uh, okay, we're going to the Microsoft post for this one. Uh, there were, quote, fewer than 40 unique global organizations. Uh, the attacks were directed at government, non-government organizations, IT services, technology, manufacturing firms, and media sectors, which to me sounds pretty damn scattershot. So why? Does their headline say to breach government agencies? Because um, it gets the most uh, views. Another line from, yeah, it does. Another line from Microsoft's post. Uh, Microsoft has contacted targeted or compromised organizations, yada, yada, yada. So Microsoft has not said, and TechCrunch has no freaking idea, how many, if any of them, were actually breached, what a breach is. Uh, the only thing they know is who Microsoft said was targeted. I... The TechCrunch article is seven paragraphs. And, and yes, I, I hate to send them any kind of, of traffic, but I am putting it in the show notes. Seven paragraphs. It uses the word Russia or Russian six times. <laughs> it uses the phrase state-sponsored twice. It makes four unprovable assertions presented as fact. And everything else in it is nothing more than deferring to a blog post at Microsoft. Uh, what? That's not enough. Who's the author of this? Someone named Carly Page. Carly, you were a terrible propagandist. Stop bullshitting me. Well, that pretty much describes most of the media today. <laughs> it does. And I do highly recommend The Art of Deception by Kevin Mitnick. I don't know. He looks like he yes. released a bunch of these books. I don't know if I've even. Uh, and he probably wouldn't even mind if you pirated it. Not anymore. No, that was kind of a bummer that he passed away. He was like a big hero back in the day the most infamous hacker who turned out to have almost zero hacking skills. He didn't need him. No. He's a very charismatic person. That's all you need. When you people are easier to hack than computers always yeah. has been, even since before computers. I love the part where you were just walking into the buildings at the, uh, you know, the telephone company back in the day. And nobody would, if you looked like you knew what you were doing, nobody would say nothing. Sure. Just go wherever I, I, you want. You, you know, the thing that I learned back in the day, the most important thing you can do is uh, wear a name badge and hold a clipboard. Right. And nobody will stop you. And nobody wants you to ask them any questions because it looks like no, maybe no. you're there to evaluate fact, them. If you walk up to somebody holding a clipboard with a name badge on and you open your mouth to ask a question, they'll suddenly find something else they need to be doing. <laughs> they will probably run <laughs> in the other direction. But we have that effect on people no matter what. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, I tell you, you can't trust. If you can't trust TechCrunch, who can you trust? Yourself. Yeah, right. The Grumpy Me, Old Ben's podcast. You, Grumpy Old Ben's. 
Yeah, we are a value for value show. I mean, we have a few people we can thank for today's show. Yay! I know. And uh, I mean, this was a first. This is the first one that came in in a in a long, long time. Our buddy Brian Janak came in and I just missed this. I believe it hit the P.O. box earlier in the day last week on Wednesday, but I had not been able to get there. I think I even mentioned that. Oh, he had sent something in. Came in with the show number donation at two hundred and twenty nine dollars. Wow. I know. Wow. I was like, damn, now we need more people. It's hard to complain about that. I mean, I'll try for the sake of the show, but it's hard. (laughs) He says uh, he sent a note, real paper. Wow. Long overdue donation. Thanks for telling me that the Patreon was fucked up. Yeah, Patreon has been uh, for a while. But he says props to Ryan for pronouncing my last name right. Now, I mean, if I've been getting it wrong, I've been saying Janak. How would you say it? Uh, I'm thinking back to my time on angry tech news. I always say Brian Janak. Yeah, I think that's correct. Then we're probably right. Although, so if I'm saying it right, why is he like, Oh, props to Ryan for saying my name, right? What do I get? No props. Well, I don't know. Maybe is there a distinction in some dialects between ja and, uh, ja? There might be just say it differently every time. That's what the Vorak does. But I, I, I don't know if that's a, there's a lot of places where that's not fundamentally different than je. Yeah, I say Jack. I don't, know. I, don't no. know. I I'm the one who's who's always giving uh, on on Lotus Effect. I'm the one who's always giving Phoenix her her crap because she, despite being from the South and having generally fully attenuated to the culture there, uh, she's still originally from the Northeast, and so every once in a while you hear her say something like coffee. <laughs> It doesn't and quite of course fit. I have to give her crap about that. Doesn't fit with the Southern Bell vibe. Well, no, that that's a very uh, Connecticut vibe. Yeah, but two twenty nine. So I mean, it is two thirty. But I mean, we'll we'll chip in the extra dollars since uh, we got to the donation late. And those are the I mean the kind. Now, if you've been listening to Grumpy Old Ben's for a long time and you've never donated, it's like this is the whole thing. It's like, did you get a dollar's worth of value out of every show? No, I didn't, which is why I don't donate. Oh, well, you oh you're not asking me. No, no, you're not, that's not good marketing. You got lots more than a dollar. That's what you want to go with. Well, apparently today I got 230. Yeah. Well, that would be a beautiful thing. Now, right before if, the show, well, maybe about if, an hour and a half before the show I posted, which I usually forget to do, but I posted on uh, the X site now and uh, No Agenda Social. Hey, we're going live in 90 minutes. Still plenty of time to be an executive producer. And Brenda Erickson took me up on it, came in with a hundred dollars right after that post. Hooray. Okay. Yes. No, no, like or anything. Yeah. Thank you, who's, Brenda. Who's Brenda. I, I like Brenda now. I've never, I've never heard of Brenda. She came out of nowhere. Well, the one thing I know is that Brenda is a very awesome person who recognizes quality when she sees it. And she knows quality right podcasting at the very least. And Samuel Corp, I'm guessing Corp, it's C-O-R-P. I've never seen that as a last name. Uh, only of of fictional people who are actually corporations could be see well maybe i don't know maybe that's it it. is this like the the accountant from a place called samuel corp it could be could very well be he came in with 50 dollars. said markets are necessary for liberty ai is not ai will be used to create slavery systems for oligarchs if we let them get created cool show regards well, only, Samuel only if we make the mistake of trusting it 
Well, this is it. That I think is the critical step. And knowing what it can do again, there's no way to put the technology back into the bottle. So technology is, cannot be uninvented. It is neither good nor evil. And the trust that you should place in it is determined entirely by who controls it. And whether or not you have some control over your own. Okay. Yes. I need, I need to, I need to write up these rules and, and formulate them better, but there's, there's a third one about trust in there somewhere. Well, and rightfully so, and understand that anything you see or hear may now be complete and utter bullshit. Which yeah. honestly, let's, let's be fair, has been true for as long as there have been societies. This is true. This is true. Now, though, it might sound like somebody else is saying it, even if they didn't. The, the, the means of fooling the senses change and evolve and are modified. And this AI thing is uh, as impactful. You know, this is actually the second time that I've seen a new technology developed that completely destroyed the ability to believe your own eyes. The first one was when Photoshop was developed by itself. Right. And uh, people adapted. People look at this and are like, I can tell from the pixels that that's obviously true, which is also bullshit. But um, we know that things can, the, the most dangerous thing about a new technology like deep fakes is when they can be generated easily and people still don't recognize the danger at this moment, anybody who is even the slightest bit credulous understands that if somebody shows you a photograph, then you need to not straight up take it at face value unless you have some corroborating reason to do it. Be skeptical and know the context of the whole thing. I don't think AI changes that. No, you just have to know how easy it is to fake things now. And if once you know that, it doesn't matter what somebody plays for you audio wise or shows you in a picture or video. You still have to be skeptical because you understand and you're correct. The ability to alter photographs for the average person has been around since Photoshop's been around now, which is probably what, 15, 20 years. It's been a while. I mean, I remember the, all of the, oh my God, freak out. Nobody can trust photos anymore. Right. Stories when I was younger. The only difference is now it's a lot easier to do so. It's a lot easier to alter it. And that's what I think everybody's worried about. No, I don't think so. I I mean, you know, be, there was a time when also when you could obviously trust something that was spoken there was a time you could obviously trust something that was written uh, but but, uh, plagiarism the ability to rewrite something in somebody's handwriting has been around for longer than i have uh i don't know technology changes the ability to fool people changes evolves gets better gets more interesting people are amazingly adaptable and i think that the critical component that anybody needs to have in order to navigate through any of these technological changes is a healthy bullshit detector. Yeah. And if you, if like me, you've spent your whole life going, I don't believe you, then you're going to be in a pretty good state. If you've spent the last four years listening to grumpy old Ben's going, I don't believe these guys, they're too cranky. Great. Then, then your bullshit detector is working. Now it turns out everything we say is true, but we also verify it. We, we back it up. Right. 
and we try to give you the information you need to be able to notice the same kind of things. And I think the, the bigger thing is, uh, you know, a lot of photographers who then went and learned Photoshop, because they were the first ones that were really pissed when Photoshop came out in the first place. And then they realized it was more of a tool to help professional photographers, because still most people were not willing to spend the time to learn how to use Photoshop. So there was still a need for them. I've never had to. I still have epic MS Paint skills. Ooh, well, that can get you a long way. Now, the admittedly, fact you, I've never had art uh, accepted for no agenda. So, well, that is true. That's true. Maybe my MS Paint skills need some brushing up. Yeah, but now they keep like, oh, the no agenda guys are like, we don't want any AI art. It's like, why? It's good stuff if it's done right. Now, I don't want 14 different fingers, but I think that that's more of a knee jerk. Yes. Oh, I agree. And it's and, like, and yes, if it's, if it's obviously AI and it looks fake or, or otherwise triggers the bullshit detector, then okay, don't do it because it's, because it looks fake or something like that. I don't know. Right. If it's well done, I don't care how it happens. That's one of the reasons I've never really waded into the, Oh, all AI art is bad. Like, well, no, a lot of AI art is bad. AI art, like all content, uh, uh, follows Sturgeon's law. Yes. It's a very small percent that you're going to go. Wow. That's great. Yeah. But this is where they're afraid now is that you can go into Photoshop and simply draw a little circle around whatever's in that photo you don't want and press a button and it's gone. So the ability to do a whole lot of things is now in the hands of the average untrained person. So so we brought to photos what Hillary does to her friends. Exactly. Makes them disappear. Dajur came in with two $10 checks and I appreciate that. One of them was uh, in the PO box. I didn't get there for a while. And, uh, and another one just came in uh, the, the post office around here, maybe everywhere in the United States, been having a little bit of an issue getting things from point A to point B quickly. I don't know why this is. I mean, I guess to be fair, I know why it is. I can guess why uh, it is. I'm guessing because sleet, snow and dark of night. These things will happen. The wife reports that or, now that you know, she's working, you know, for the, the government and they deal with the one of the things they process are the water bills for the local little town here. That the amount of people calling and saying, well, no, I sent the check has gone up. And I'm like, wait, so this is from being mailed from the same town and it's getting lost to go from. Oh. Whatever, yeah. you know, a mile or two miles away to Village Hall getting lost. I'm like, that's not good. Not good. But it's am, happening Am I a the lot. only one who's like, if the bill is really important and really has to get there at a certain time, I, I'm like, I know where the office is. I'm going to take it and go put it in their Dropbox. Yeah. And there is a Dropbox, so you can do that. But people are lazy. Sometimes I'll even, you know, pound on the door and barge right in and be like, take my money. And they're like sir um you're you're in the wrong calling. place yeah start <laughs> calling in the 911 like help there's, this man there's is here podcaster. trying to pay a bill yeah do not let a podcaster in never yeah. let a podcaster in but thank you Dejour, for the support for grumpy old bands and then then we can move into the boostograms oh yes we had a few of them yeah now if you're into the podcasting 2.0 thing you should go over to newpodcastapps.com and get yourself one of those apps, then load it up with all of the Satoshis you can possibly find and then stream them. 
or boost them or boostagram them, whatever you want to do. I'm going to let you read out the white mic one from last week, because what I just realized is that my script that I very recently wrote and is actually capable of sorting and collating my boosts again is cutting off the message. Uh Oh, you better get a fix on that and then release yeah. that. People will love to have something like that, but it's, we, it's all PowerShell. And I think I well, this, of course it's PowerShell. What else would you use? Yeah. Cold acid said, uh, sir, this is Arby's. That's the answer when you're like, take yeah. all my money. Well, that <laughs> see, they would take all of his money at Arby's, yeah, but then they'd give me, uh, in, in exchange for all that money, they'd give me uh, heartburn. Yeah. The horsey sauce, but it's so good. I like the horsey sauce, but man, I need a bottle of Tums every time I walk into Arby's. I know. And I saw the other day I did. I did not order it because I'm just afraid of the same thing. They sell that shit in the grocery store now. Arby's horsey sauce. It's good. Yeah, I, I can I can get the same effect by adding sugar and acid. And we are not sponsored by Arby's, but I mean, if ever this show would be a sponsor <laughs> that could fit right on in. Arby's may be it, but lavish yeah. came in with 22,222 Satoshis. And he said, it's the coldest summer in years. Global warming. Yeah, I believe it. We already read the uh, boobery's know who came in with the 17776. Net just came in with 10,000. I tried boosting with AI and it said, the fuck is wrong with you? I can't do that shit. Use a podcasting 2.0 app, jackass. Chat GOB is angry. Oh, we need a chat, chat GOB. I like chat GOB. CSB, roll that up for us. We need a chat GOB that would respond to people like oh, we yeah, would. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just train an LLM on the transcripts of everything we've ever said. There's no possible way that that one would get past the corporate censors. Well, you don't put it up in a corporate world. You put that up on the dark web to where it belongs. But thank you, NetNed. And uh, speaking of CSB, he came in with 8,015, who just says, visit www.csb.lol for fun cartoons. Yay. Yay. Are At least we fun? got our ad read. Yeah. But I always have to have one. See, Brooklyn came in with a row of uh, sticks here. One, 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 one. Wednesday is for a humpy old Benz. I think that may be a different show. Or maybe, maybe not. I do like women that do it for free. Crickets. You read some of those that I still don't have, so I, I need we, we should compare notes. <laughs> Did you have anything else besides that? I mean, I went back into uh, into Conshacks. That's where I grabbed those. And the other ones I was grabbing from the troll room while doing the show live, because for some reason, in all of their infinite wisdom, our friends over at Get Albi changed their interface. And now it only shows the amount of sats I'm receiving rather than the amount of sats that the boost was for, which totally fucks up a lot of stuff because now, all I can I, say, I have always had that in my reporting, but there's another field that I pull out of the boostogram called value MSAT total. Yeah. That is, used to show 1000 times the actual amount that was sent. It, well, that makes it harder as well, but at least you can figure well, out what the original one was. Because it's, it's millisats, and uh -huh. I don't know how exactly you send multiple, you know, millisats. I, I, I thought that the amount of Satoshi sent was an integer, which was one of the reasons why Gene was so against the 1% the split when people are sending 10 Satoshis. But uh, I don't know. It's always a multiple of 1,000, so I just kind of skipped those off. 
cold ass that says have, I'm using uh, a different LB from the rest of us. I'm just on the website. I am on uh, getlb.com. So here's what I have from since last show. And uh, okay, now we are in the the live debugging our Satoshi's segment, which is apparently yeah. becoming a regular thing. I'm because get LB used to show in the drop down what the original sat amount was that does not anymore. At least so not since for me, since last show, I have uh, Joel W eleven eleven. No, uh, with a null message. Well, um, that may be why I didn't get it. White Mike eighty one eleven with a long message that was cut off. But here's here's the part that's not cut off. Tuning in late, I woke up having a panic attack and listened to Sir Bemrose to calm down. You two straights didn't seem to understand my last 111-111 sat donation for GA Pride Month, but the prostate discussion made me laugh. So here's a donation just two. And then it's cut off. Uh-oh. <laughs> so we can get our prostates checked, maybe? You never know. I It's possible that maybe getting your prostate checked is, is something. People are going to go in to their proctologist now and be like, I need you to stick your hand to check because the people at grumpy old Ben said so. Yes. Oh, here. Okay. Uh, tuning in late, woke up having a panic attack uh, donation for, but the prostate discussion made me laugh. Here's a donation just to beat CSBs with a tiny row of dicks. Now, you know where all the ones should hit. Thanks. A tiny row of dicks, which eight one, 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 almost a show title. Yeah. Tiny. Row. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get completely banned, that would be the that would be the way you know, to do we it. We don't publish this podcast anywhere that I care about, so I'm fine with getting banned. Billy Bones did have a couple other boosts, I guess. Looking back here, uh, uh, here's money to go towards fixing the internet, and here's money to help fix your problems. The thirty four thirty eight. If, if only one. money could fix all my problems. I know that would be nice and easy. Well, I wouldn't it really though. I mean. The uh, memes one one three seven didn't come in with one 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 three three seven, so that's confusing. Came at twenty seven oh two. Said leet boosting yep. the split, stay grumpy. Oh yeah, I have that one. Uh, then let's see. After that, I have a uh, comic strip blogger for eighty fifteen. Yeah, we got just that one. shy yeah. of White Mike's eighty one eleven. Yeah, but White Mike won. Um, he won the battle. And then I have the ones you. Red today, uh, lavish, coldest summer in years, Booberry, Sea Brooklyn, and NetNet. And that's, that's it. What I got. That is it. So some of you people, either my my stuff is still not working correctly, or you only sent things to Darren. And there's the ISO for you. My stuff's not working correctly. Yeah, that's pretty much tech support in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it just didn't catch up. But I maybe. love uh, I love seeing guys like Eric PP. Dreaming while he listens, sending four cents a minute. That adds up quicker than you think. It does add up. And and the fact that so many people do that to multiple shows now is why uh, in the last four weeks, I've gone from 17,000 total transactions in my node since I started in April of 22 to 39,000. Woo. Are you a Satoshi millionaire now? <laughs> no, not at, not at one Satoshi per transaction. <laughs> it takes it's a while. Take a while. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely takes a while. I mean, my PayPal account is once again drained because I sent out the monies to you earlier. Well, to your wife, because I mean, really, nobody lets yeah. you have money. 
Yeah, I just, I can't be held responsible for that. And to Larry and to Gene, and they were all very close. So I mean, I was intrigued by the fact that you know you and I and what, really yes, and Larry I'm and I way more than Gene. I know. And well, for from Gene, it was mainly the one guy Dale from Australia that was the donor for most of the stuff. Obviously, we need to get more Australian news stories because yes. I need some Australian donors over here. People. We need more people that come in regularly with over a hundred dollars for shows. And then that way it gets, it moves it right up there. But when it was all said and done, my PayPal account was pretty much cleared out. Cause I use that account for all the dumb yep. stuff. I buy like all the Taylor Swift merchandise and vinyl from record store day. And I'm like, Oh, I don't have any money left. <laughs> so, so feel free to donate. Go to yes, grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate. You please can, donate. Darren needs more Taylor Swift vinyl. Exactly. And you can go to the donate button, PayPal one time or monthly donation. You can use the QR codes or wallet addresses. If you want to do the crypto thing, you can use the PO box address. If you want to go the snail mail routes, just be careful. The post office, they're not doing really well lately. And of course, we have the podcasting 2.0 lit live tag you can boost. and. We're also over on uh, making great use of our Patreon page, patreon.com slash grumpy old Ben's, where that, we post nothing. That company still exists. Yeah, they're still around. I don't know if there's any really useful thing that we can put I, over there, but they're, they're still around. I, I have, uh, I had subscribed via Patreon to a couple of podcasts, uh, uh, cord killers and daily tech news show, both with Tom Merritt, like, Five years ago. And then I Sarah Lane got there. 20, uh, well, I, I kind of abandoned Daily Tech News show about the time that Sarah Lane came on. I really have trouble watching her. Uh, but And listening I, to her. I, I Well, actually, if, if I could watch her without listening. It's okay. And it's just it was 10 years part. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> see, this is the AI we need. Yeah. yeah well, I but anyway, I, I kind of stopped uh, my patron to all of those shows. Cause I stopped using Patreon entirely uh, maybe five years ago. I still get, uh, you know, Hey, uh, daily tech news released this new thing. You should read it. Spam mails from Patreon. Oh, every of course. Week. Well, yeah. Cause they <laughs> want you to come back and spend your money. That's their whole bit. And the daily tech news shows making a lot of money on Patreon. Yeah. Well, it's a good show. And, and it has Sarah Lane. Yeah, if you could separate those. See, we need the AI for that too. If you could just edit Sarah Lane out of the show, or I, I've been I've been a big Tom Merritt fan since Buzz Out Loud, and I, I really like the way he does news. For one thing, it was probably five or ten years I was listening to him before I finally got a glimmer as to what his political leanings are, and that's incredible. That is the ability to present news neutrally for that long is something that just doesn't exist in journalism. So I have a lot of respect for his ability to do shows. Now that said, if you want something where, you know, the host uses, throws their opinion at you every 10 seconds and wears their opinion on their sleeve and uses lots of sarcasm. Um, I recommend angry tech news. Oh, is that show still around angry tech news? Uh, they went yesterday, uh, right before planet rage. You know, I really enjoyed the story about the hackers listening to people type and having 90 some odd percent accuracy 
on picking out what was being typed. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that one. I, I have to imagine that there, I mean, there's some incredible variations in that. Like if, if you take a, a secretary who's typing hundred page documents for a living, then they're going to go into a really, uh, a, a really, uh, um, regular for a uh, pattern that, it's well, I mean, going to be was, easy to pick out if I, if you've got somebody who's hunting and pecking with two fingers. I feel like that can't even happen. Well, it was kind of sounding like they were using a sonic signature and training it by typing, you know, on each key twenty five times. And it's like, are you telling me that oh, each, you think that each key I, has that I much? I did of not a, get that at all. Yeah, the I mean, the idea that if you hit the the E key. Because you type that one more often that it will sound different because it's been hit a lot more like like the, another mitigation might be a brand new keyboard. Well, it would be. It definitely would be. Or, you know, don't put your uh, which I thought was funny because life hackers like, well, mute yourself when typing on a Zoom call. Well, nobody's going to do that. I never I never got that out of it. I think that if that was a key part of the attack, then low sound quality would also be a mitigation. See, what I thought it was, was the timing of the keys, specifically no. how long it takes you to go from one letter to the next. According and to an article on Lifehacker, which I mean, Lifehacker is right up there with TechCrunch. They used Apple computers and it says researchers pressed 36 individual keys on new MacBook Pros, a total of 25 times each then ran the recordings through software to identify tiny differences between wow. each okay. key. So it's actually the sound of the key being I thought, pressed. I thought this was a timing attack. That is weird. You know, that the, everything I just said about angry tech news, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't even <laughs> understand what he's reading or the story you read gave a totally different uh, look yeah, at that what might was be going on <laughs> because it's like, wait, you're telling me that every key on a keyboard a brand I new think keyboard. NetNed just came up with another fantastic mitigation. He says the fix to someone hearing my keyboard on Zoom is to not use Zoom. Yeah. And they said even using an iPhone can do this. You don't even need high quality, you know, as podcasters with hundred multi hundred dollar microphones right next to the keyboard. And and a noise gate. Yeah. And, well, the noise gate will make it a little bit harder. But with a really high quality microphone, I can see where you might pick up slight differences. They're like, well, no, using an iPhone, uh, iPhone microphone only brought it down from like 95% accuracy to 93. So you aren't, uh, maybe the microphones you, and the iPhones are just really good. So if I type a sentence while I'm talking, can you hear it? Yes. More porn, more porn. You're like, wait, how did wait? Okay. And by the way, though, the the easiest way, if I type something out, yes, the how can you guess from what from the sound that I just made what I typed? I can't, but researchers maybe can. Any researcher who's in the troll room where I typed it might be able to figure it out. Oh, that would be helpful as well, <laughs> depending where it's going. But yeah. one, I, I'm calling bullshit I out, on this. Yeah, I typed it out in the troll room, which, uh, you know, mean is, by the way, the easiest way to tell what you typed to verify is still 
to capture what you typed, which means now anybody that's listening to this show now has your H E Y D A R E N keys. Uh, so they know all those letters are now in a database where when you type it the next time, they'll know which key it is. Yes. Well, until I, actually another, I, I have several mitigations. W- one of them is I use crappy mechanical keyboards, so I have to replace them every couple months, which is good. Throw people off the signal. Exactly. Always See, sounds different. I was thinking, you know, the timing attack, it still makes sense. That's still a, a viable way of attacking it. But that relies heavily on the QWERTY keyboard layout, which I don't. Use. Oh, that's true, too. So you're like, ah, you'll never figure mine out because I'm using Dvorak. And then it's like, nope, they're just listening for the sonic signature. And that's yeah. why it's like, I, I thought this is, you know, and again, the last paragraph of the life hacker story is titled password managers are your friend. So it's like, Oh wait, was this, uh, was like, this like yeah. all the password people? like, wait, okay. Tell them that if anybody even hears them type their password, tell them that, that people will be able to guess it. So use one of our things. Yes. Because if you use a password manager, then you're immune to the keylogger attacks to get your password. And instead are only vulnerable to the clipboard attacks of getting your password. Uh huh. Well, or you're in the case of what I use, which is RoboForm, they still well, the have network not, sniffer attacks or <laughs> well, they you still have to type in a master password. There is they haven't gotten to the point where they're doing the YubiKeys yet, which is the oh, only yeah. downside, which means if somebody gets my uh, main password, then you have access to every password. So that's the one downfall of the password managers. Well, if if you you also need the database. Yes. Which, I mean, I guess if you're using an online system that stores all your passwords in the cloud under a master, then that database is easy to get. Yeah, all our but. computers are going into the cloud, though. It's going to be awesome. You won't even have to buy Windows. It'll just be in the cloud. I mean, if, if you want my password database, you're going to have to find it where I published it to the public Internet on my matrix server. And I probably shouldn't have done that. But oh, nobody's looking. Don't worry. Yeah. Bemlet says he doesn't want to know what you're typing. So there's that. Yes, too. that is, in fact, the best defense is to not be the kind of person that somebody wants to hack. Unfortunately, that doesn't work because with automated tools and, and AI tools and batch scripts and botnets, pretty much everybody becomes someone to be attacked. And the interesting thing is with I mean, they could drain all my bank account and then it'd go from a negative number to zero. That might be a good thing. Oh. <laughs> Like they drain my bank account and all of a sudden there's more money in there. How did that happen? Yeah. But the laptops, the interesting thing is the microphone and the keyboards are in the exact same location for everybody that has that model. This is true. Actually, laptops would make this a lot easier. Uh huh. I mean, I can throw, I can throw the audio signature off by tilting my microphone a little bit or by scooting my keyboard a few inches. You're right. But you can't really do that if your microphone's built into the machine. Oh, yeah, I can destroy the microphone. I can do well, that. Well, yeah, you could. A lot of people should when it comes down I, to it. I mean, that's the acoustic version of putting tape over the camera. Ah, you just need one, a little piece of duct tape or a little piece of gaffer's tape or, you know, maybe a post so, at night, depending if you ever want it to come off. I had one more story. Uh, again, about uh, centralized control of people, but I'll let you draw the lines this time. Uh, this has to do, and I, I, I only got this uh, recently thanks to a Zero Hedge article about it, but the EPA 
proposed some new emissions standards back in April. And uh, so the new standards, which the EPA has proposed and are theoretically taking feedback. But as we know, government agencies, right. uh, the thing that they want to do with feedback really is just throw it away. Well, they want you to tell them they're right and then they'll continue along with it. And if you yeah. tell them they're wrong, they'll just ignore you. Yeah. If, if you agree with it, then they will use that to justify their position. But ultimately, what they're going to do is whatever their overlords tell them to do. And the EPA is is no different. Uh, the new standard that the EPA put out is uh, a target goal for automobile companies who sell cars in the United States must have a company wide average of 82 grams per of CO2 per mile. This number actually confused me and I'm going to throw this out there right now. 82 grams per mile. We're now officially mixing metric and Imperial. Oh yeah. Nothing can go wrong there. Only in America. Okay. Um, now this is the amount of CO2 measured at the tailpipe of the car. That is the only place they care about. Um, by the way, there is no car anywhere, anywhere in the world that can meet this. Once you count the generation of the power, uh, or the manufacture of the vehicle, the only reason why it's measured at the tailpipe is to force people into electric cars that don't have a tailpipe. So that way, all of the grams of CO2 that are generated in order to create the energy for the car are all generated at a power plant somewhere, centralized control. Fine. Um, so for reference, the target that they say is across the entire company, every car you sell, average them all, they cannot have any more than 82 grams of carbon dioxide per mile. Well, the average internal combustion engine emits about 400 grams per mile. So five times that amount. So this is very clearly an attack on any car that has internal combustion engines. What they're saying is that uh, four out of every five cars that automakers can or sell have to be electric or uh, the automaker gets in some kind of EPA trouble. Um, there is exactly one automaker that uh, can meet this standard right now. Only one. Every other automaker would be violating it right now. That one, of course, is Tesla. Makes sense. They uh, don't make gas engines. As a matter of fact, the the article where I found the, uh, the grams per mile number pointed out that even electric vehicles emit a few dozen grams per mile of CO2 just because uh, of other processes like air conditioning or uh, you know, the climate change control or uh I don't know. I, I don't know what, maybe the people inside are the next thing that, that emit CO2 that you have to destroy. I'm not sure. Well, do that. I know the tires put out something. I don't know if it's any CO2 though. Probably. Um, CO2 is a byproduct of pyrolysis, which is the oxygenation of any hydrocarbon. So if the tires get warm, then some of the rubber will pyrolyze and that emits CO2. So yes, there, there, CO2 is a side effect of effectively oxygen combining with anything that has carbon, which means, uh, it, one, if, if you have a forest that you never allow to burn, what becomes one of the main producers of CO2? It's, uh, vegetation rotting in the forest, which puts out 
literally exactly as much CO2 as burning the forest. Not that anybody would be willing to mention that on their environmental report. Uh, but anyway, so uh, this new regulation is pretty much a transparent way of forcing auto manufacturers to stop creating new internal combustion engines and to create all electric cars because it's the only possible way when you say, you know, we don't care about what emissions you make when you manufacture a car. We don't care about what emissions are made on the grid when it's trying to generate the power, which absolutely isn't there uh, to support all electric vehicles. The only thing we care about is at the tailpipe. That's the only place they're measuring. If the EPA gave a crap about climate CO2 or about atmospheric CO2, they would measure more than just the tailpipe, but they're not. This is centralized control of people. They are trying to force people into electric vehicles. Why? Well, one of the, one of the reports that they're using to justify came from the IEA, International Energy Agency. Now, I'm not sure what exactly this is. I think it, it sounds like a think tank, but with a name like International Energy Agency, it sure sounds official, so why not? Their report came out with a conclusion that says electric vehicles have a 50% reduction in life cycle emissions versus internal combustion. Um, that was uh, Zero Hedge, actually, compared this to another report from the Manhattan Institute, a guy named Mark Mills. Um, that report I actually read. And uh, one of the things he points out is he dug apart. He just ripped apart the IEA report, said the IEA made assumptions and approximations about uh, the supply line, about you know, a bunch of them. And ultimately, once you account for all of the assumptions and approximations they made, the actual range is anywhere from a 75% reduction using an EV to no change at all. And we have no idea of knowing where it is. It could be a 1% reduction. It could be a three quarters. We don't know. So we don't have any data that says electric vehicles over their life cycle actually produce less CO2. But the EPA is making new rules anyway. Uh, one of the, the quotes that I pulled out of the Mark Mills uh, article, uh, draconian, impediment, draconian impediments to affordable and convenient driving and a massive misallocation of capital in the world's $4 trillion automotive industry, which pretty much describes what I've been complaining about all this time. Oh, no. The government's uh, coming. Fake podcast. Yeah, some, fake podcast. Yes. Yeah, that thing. I, yeah. It's a quality ringer. It was just Android generic, whatever. Um, basically, I, this this is yet another person who's confirming that uh, whether or not electric vehicles have a place in the future economy, and I believe that they do, every single attempt to force, use government uh, power to force people into electric cars is absolutely going to make it worse. Um, he, he again reiterated that the power grid cannot possibly hold you know if if we somehow followed what the EPA says they're going to do and moved 80% of all personal vehicles to electric cars um the power grid would collapse uh there is not enough cobalt lithium rare earth materials in the world to generate that many batteries etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not possible again the 
only possible conclusion is if you try to actually force this, the result you're going to get is the end of personal automobiles, which I honestly yes. believe for the people giving the EPA their market marching orders is exactly what they want. Again, centralized control, personal automobiles mean personal freedom. We want to get rid of freedom. We want everybody to be locked and trapped in whatever shithole city you're dumped into and stuck with uh, public buses in order to go get your groceries because personal cars are bad. They represent a level of personal autonomy that we cannot have if we're going to have a subservient. Anyway, I'm kind of going off with a tinfoil hat here, but well, yeah, because, well, this is what they're pushing the whole, oh, everything should be walking distance from where you live. You shouldn't have to drive because it's so bad for the planet. The IEA has been around since 1974, so almost my okay. whole life, and it was created to help. Co this is from their website to help coordinate a collective response to major disruptions in the supply of oil. Uh-huh. While oil security well, remains a key like aspect, the IEA has like evolved. They've, they've pivoted. Uh-huh. They say now they're uh, trying to destroy oil. Yeah. They are at the heart of a global dialogue on energy, providing authoritative analysis. I mean, I know you love a, the analysis when it's authoritative. I, or authoritarian. You never know. Data, policy recommendations, and real-world solutions to help countries provide secure and sustainable energy for all. Bullshit. I, I actually like when information is authoritative, but people throw that word around when they just say, well, we have an official-sounding name. But you don't get to be authoritative unless you have some authority and some respect and are worthy of it, and, and your information is not bullshit. And you can't just say, oh, I'm authoritative because I say so. Right. That'd be like me on Grumpy Old Ben saying everything I've ever brought to this show is correct because I'm an expert. Because you say that anyway. I do say it anyway. And and you should believe it because I'm an expert. And I said so. And if we go and back. you know I'm an expert because I said I'm an expert. Exactly. It, it's it's, it's around all the way down. Yeah. It checks. Uh, now, the Zero Hedge article did call out one apologist. Um, I didn't write down the name who said, oh. Uh, I just, I had to pull that out, this analysis because it's fascinating to me said, uh, well, you know, we don't have to put full size batteries into all electric cars. We could have you know, batteries that are much, much smaller because most people's commutes are far less than the 400 miles that the average electric vehicle goes. Ooh. By the way, if you own an electric vehicle, first of all, who gets 400 miles range? I know that's what the companies say. In fact, there was a story last week about Tesla who created an entire department whose job was to lie about how far their vehicles go, how much range you get, and to field customer support calls whenever people complained that the range was lower than advertised in order to, to cancel the calls or pacify them or, or you know, worst case scenario, give them a free dashboard ornament so that they'd go away and stop complaining. That that actually was an article. Tesla created a whole department just for the purpose of holding up the lie about how much range their vehicles get. 400 miles. Yeah, that doesn't freaking happen with any electric vehicle out there right now, unless you've got an oversized battery. But anyway, a lot the, the recommendation was, well, we could actually support as many electric vehicles if we need, if all of them had significantly smaller batteries, maybe ones that only had 50 mile radius. And then and then people, you know, we would just charge them more often. Okay. Again, who wants to spend several hours sitting at a charging station every 50 miles? 
Nope. No. But you know, you don't need more slave. All you need is enough to get you back and forth to work. They're like, oh, let's see. You work and then, 20 miles away. Your battery needs to go 40 miles. And then on top of the smaller battery argument, they also said, oh, or we could use wireless in-road charging to make it so that vehicle, or electric vehicles don't need to charge very often. Uh, in-road charging, by the way, is something that if you want my full take on it, go listen to Angry Tech News number five where I disassembled the entire concept of putting inductive chargers into the road. Uh-huh. Uh, short version, uh, you're talking creating roads at the 40 to $80 million per mile range. And at rush hour, they will all catch fire and become <laughs> a burning hellscape. I like it. Let's raise the money. And, uh, you know, if this is a depopulation initiative, it could work. Uh, but. The other thing, even if this worked perfectly, you know that these roads would only be the main thoroughfares in downtown city streets. They'd be, you know, you you might install it in the Dan Ryan. You'd install it in Interstate 5 in Seattle. You'd install it on the 401 through Toronto, just the huge freeways. And that'd be about it. But that's fine because that's the only road that you should be driving on, you slave. And if you ever wanted to leave the central city well, screw you. Your car will die before you get 50 miles out because you're getting outside of our control. Again, centralized control of people, electric vehicles, and especially the idea of an electric vehicle with a tiny ass battery that only gets its power from the road means that you are tied to the grid. It's removing your freedom. It's Literally. removing your individual control. Uh, you're personal car will only be allowed to go where those stupid little overhead bus lines are that power provide power to the electric buses. Um, you might as well be taking the bus, you slave. How dare you own a vehicle? You're creating waste. You, uh, yeah, it's like having your own very own slot car that can only go at the track they provide. That's what you. it is. That's what it is. It's it's you can have as much freedom as you want to go wherever you want as long as it's on the tracks we've made. Uh-huh. Now the, the, the member, one thing the member countries for the IEA are the just exactly who you would guess. And the countries that are not a part of it are exactly the ones you would guess. Uh, I'm guessing Russia. Yeah, they're not part. Is on the not list. Yeah, they're not. China, not. India, not. I mean, again, the countries that. uh, All all the the people who are perfectly happy with the United States destroying its own economy in the name of the climate religion, but who are not actually following any of it. Yes. And the, the wokesters on the list, of course, the United States. The Netherlands, Canada, the UK, Ireland, Mexico, Italy, Japan, Greece, Finland, Poland. Ah, CSB, what's going on out there in Poland? Norway. He's personally responsible for that. Could be. It's all his uh, Slavic or Slovak uh, blood in him. Slovak. (laughs) The, The Slovak Republic is also a part of this. Sweden, Spain, Switzerland. But yeah, not the biggest countries that are doing the most when it comes to pollution from vehicles like china india russia those no they're not a part nothing to worry about like you said let's ruin our economy for a cleaner planet when it's not going to really do anything yeah and by the way uh not not that i necessarily want to get us deplatformed by naming uh and obvious you know horrible person he the the guy has been so canceled from everything but uh 
Jordan Peterson actually gave a really great talk on, and he, he repeats this point often about energy usage and it, it completely makes sense. The idea is that if you want people to, if you want society to function cleanly, then evidence has shown that the more energy consumed uh, is, is tied very strongly to uh, less environmental damage, the more energy we have consumed, uh, because the really cheap, what, what is the cheapest, crappiest energy source we could get? Well, uh, probably burning coal or something. What's the most complicated and expensive, but cleanest we have? Uh, probably nuclear. What's the range in between? But the more energy consumed by a society per capita, the more prosperous it is, the more technological advanced it is, and the cleaner it is. And the technological advances is probably the most important part of that because more technological advances means more efficient use of resources. If you want to feed a hundred million people, uh, if you do it with low technology, you're going to dedicate your whole economy to it. It's why way back in the day, towns were never larger than, you know, a thousand people. Now we have towns of millions. Why? More technology means we can use resources more efficiently. When people started complaining about the population bomb back in the 70s, oh my God, we're going to have 4 billion people. The planet cannot sustain more than 5 billion people. That was actually something that was said in the 70s by the people freaking out. Uh, in fact, uh, it was probably said before that, not the, the amount, but the... The next iteration after the eugenicists who were trying to kill everybody was the people saying there's too many people, population bomb, let's kill everybody. Uh, the the people who put up the Georgia Guidestones and said there should never be more than half a billion people on the planet. And basically, if we were all at subsistence farming technology levels, then the planet could probably support about a half billion people and then we'd be re exhausting our resources. But we're way past that now. Why? Technological advance. The right. Amount of people per resource is not a static number. We make better use of resources through technological advances, through prosperity. We drive prosperity and technological advances by higher energy use. This agenda of forcing everybody into the dark ages by destroying all energy use and all energy production is the most counterproductive and horrible thing you can possibly do for the environment because you're forcing people into levels where they are using resources inefficiently and doing far worse to the environment, to the planet than you could possibly do if we allowed capitalism and energy use to create the prosperity and technology necessary to do it efficiently. Yeah. The math still doesn't make sense. The electric vehicles are not friendlier to the planet because of the things that go into the batteries, the way they have to be manufactured that in the long run, you're just trading one thing for another and you're not really helping with carbon emissions and carbon emissions probably mean dick all anyway, because nobody's ever proven this as an issue of whether the planet warming caused more CO2 or more CO2 caused the planet to warm. That's a very important distinction. And it's interesting when you look back to 1974, when this IEA was being formed, that was right about the time that the story was, we're running out of fossil fuels. We need to figure out an alternative way to power everything. And guess what? We're still nowhere near running out of fossil fuels. 
you know, the carbon cycle is, is a funny thing. Atmospheric CO2 is, uh, has been highly, highly self-regulating on this platform for billions of years. Whenever there's a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere, oh, by the way, here, here's a trick the what would actually, what would you say the number one things that pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere? What would you say are the number one and two things? Plants. Plants are the number two. Number one is water. Yes. The ocean, the atmosphere makes contact with the surface of the ocean or more often through rain. If it rains into the ocean or wherever carbon dioxide dissolves very readily into water. Um, that carbon dioxide, there is far more CO2 in the ocean than there is in the atmosphere. Uh oh. The ocean will absorb it. And then when the ocean gets saturated enough, uh, believe it or not, a far higher uh, amount than plants will ever do is plate tectonics, the volcanism. It is the idea that whenever uh, the uh, earth crust plate at the bottom of the ocean slides underneath, another plate and goes down into the mantle, all of the CO2, all of the rotting material that's fallen to the bottom of the ocean, all of the coral that was made entirely of this stuff that is dropped on the bottom of the ocean gets stuffed into the mantle of the earth. And then it's thousands or millions of years before, oh yeah, that same carbon is spewed back into the atmosphere by volcanoes. That is by far the biggest source and sink of carbon in the entire planet. Number two, plants. Uh, the cycle is a lot shorter because the, what's the lifespan of a tree? A tree pulls tons and tons and tons of carbon out of the atmosphere in order to make the tree. Then the tree dies. The tree either burns, which releases all that carbon dioxide quickly, or it rots, which releases it all slowly, but it will be released back into the atmosphere for the next tree to pull out. So. That's another huge cycle. Now, both of those are like three orders of magnitude more than anything humans have ever been able to do ever. And how do we know this? Well, how about we use science? How about a scientific experiment? How about let's just do something crazy. Let's make everybody stop driving for a year and a half and see what happens to atmospheric carbon when nobody is driving anywhere. Everybody is working from home. Did we Everybody get close to this? is is getting groceries delivered. Everybody is wearing diapers on their faces and being afraid of the common cold. Let's do that just for shits and giggles. Let's call it a scientific experiment. What would change? What would you expect to happen if people are the number one source of carbon in the atmosphere? Those numbers would drop very quickly. Yes. Now we did that. Guess what happened? Numbers didn't drop. Nothing. Whoa. Nothing at all. That's a surprise. Yeah. I, everything about climate science is based on and propagating bullshit for the purpose of controlling people and making them afraid and forcing them into subserving to what you, know, you, you can convince people to do anything. If you make them afraid for their lives and tell them that they're saving things by being virtuous and virtue in this case is being a subservient little electric car buyer with a 50 mile range who right. has to take the public bus because there's no grocery stores within 50 miles because you live in a food desert in San Francisco or. Yeah, they buy into it. They buy into the propaganda 
And I'm, I'm just writing this down here. Get rid of plants and get rid of water and that'll save the planet. You're getting rid of plants would be one of the, it would be terrible. Uh, it would be about the only, if we got rid of all the plants, about the only thing that would be worse for CO2 levels than that would be, say, an asteroid hitting the earth. Ooh, that In would fact, be nice. We should, we should get on ruining our economy to stop that. Yeah. That seems like the most important thing. We need to build something to make sure that doesn't happen. Send uh, somebody, somebody call up Bruce Willis and send him out into space. That's got to help. Yeah, but he wouldn't remember where he was now. But it's got to help. Yeah. No, that he wouldn't remember where he is now. I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, our problems can be solved if we just find Bruce Willis, send him out into space and then detonate him with a nuke. I think we just need again to stop believing the bullshit and to start looking at things from a reasonable, rational point of view. And I know <laughs> big, big ask. Way too big of an ask. But that's why we have you listening to Grumpy Old Ben's. Because it, obviously you want the same thing. You want some rational thought. And that's, wait, is that why they come here? Is it rational thought we do? I always forget. Or is it I irrational? Try. I mean, it's it's grumpy thought. True. It's tinged with a lot of ranting. But I, I, I make every effort to base everything I say on rationality. Even if it's rational anger. Uh, it is very rational to be angry at these assholes for ruining our entire economy. Yeah. And for all the people that are so lemming like that, they believe it. They don't even question it that they, Oh, if they said it on MSNBC, it must be true. People do not have any skills to do any kind of rational thinking. They don't have the ability. You said earlier, and they don't bullshit. have bullshit detectors. Right. And if you don't have that, you're fucked. At this point, if you have not spent your life developing a bullshit detector, things have been accelerating the last couple of years, and you might not be able to recover if you can't build some skepticism real fucking fast. Or build your own AI that'll do it for you. If you think that'd work. We highly recommend you get grumpy with us. Remember, this is why we need CSB as a service. Yes. Before our next show, come on, support the show. Go to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate if this is the kind of content you enjoy. With that said, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I'm thinking CSB is a service. Can we do that? And from America's left coast, I'm Ryan Bemrose, and it is now safe to turn off your computer. Be home!